Real leaders leave a legacy. They capture the hearts and minds of their teams. Their origin story puts the safety and well-being of their people first. Great companies ubiquitously have safe yet productive operations. For those companies, safety is an investment, not a cost for the C-suite. It's a real topic of daily focus. This is The Safety Guru with your host, Eric McCroskey, a globally recognized ops and safety guru, public speaker, and author. Are you ready to leave a safety legacy? Your legacy success story begins now. Hi, and welcome to The Safety Guru. Today, I'm very excited to have with me Martin Anderson, who's a human factors expert. We're going to have a really interesting uh, series of topics of conversation today. He's got a deep background in human factors across oil and gas, regulatory environments. Uh, And his passion is really to understand how people perform in complex systems and also ultimately why organizations fail. So Martin, welcome to the show. Really excited to have you with me. Let's get started with a bit of an introduction. Yeah, thank you very much, Eric. And uh, certainly thank you for uh, having me on the show. It's a real privilege to be uh, invited here. Um, yeah, so in terms of my uh, background, I'm a, um, I started off with a psychology degree uh, and then I did a master's in human factors. And after a few years work experience, I uh, followed that up with a master's in process safety and loss prevention. Um, I've been a human factors specialist mm-hmm. for um, over 30 years now. I've worked for a couple of boutique consultancies. Um, I've been a regulator working as a specialist inspector in human factors for the UK Health and Safety Executive. Uh, and I spent a few years as a human factors manager in an oil and gas company. Um, I spent a lot of time assessing a existing installations, but also had um, input into the design mm-hmm. of new facilities, uh, working on you know, $40, $50 billion uh, mega projects. Um, and over that time, I visited over 150 different oil, gas, and chemical facilities both onshore mm-hmm. and offshore, um, which gives me quite an insight into how some of these major organizations um, operate. And one of the reasons I created the website humanfactors101.com was to share some of those insights. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other thing I'd like to talk about is going back 30 years right to the start um, of my career. and. I read a document which was called Organizing for Safety. It was published by the UK Health and Safety Executive in 1993. And there's a quote from that document I would like to read out because it had a huge impact on Mm -hmm. me at that point. Um, So um, it goes like this. Different organizations doing similar work are known to have different safety records and certain specific factors in the organization are related to safety. So if we unpack that quote, it really contains two statements. Mm-hmm. First of all, that different companies doing the same kind of things have got different safety records. And secondly, perhaps more right. importantly, there are specific factors that could explain this difference in safety performance. And I thought this was amazing. I thought if these factors could be identified and managed, mm then safety could be massively improved. And over the next 30 years or so, one disaster at a time, uh, these organizational factors have revealed themselves in major incidents, uh, which I guess we'll come to in a moment. I think that's a great topic to get into. So so why why do organizations fail? Because I I think when we had the original conversations, I, I was fascinated by some of your connections between multiple different industries and common themes that that were across all of them. 
Yeah, sure. Um, what might be helpful, um, first of all, because um, we introduced me as a human factors specialist to just briefly define what we mean by human factors, and then we'll go into looking at some of the organizational incidents, if that's okay. Sure. Um, uh, for me, human factors is composed of three main things. We're really looking at, first of all, what are people being asked to do? That's the work they're doing. Secondly, who is doing it? This is all about the people. And thirdly, where are they actually working, which is the organization? So ideally, all three of these aspects need to be considered, the work, the people, and the organization. But my experience is that companies tend to focus on just one or two of these, usually the people one. Mm -hmm. um, within the UK um, HSE, our team, we defined human factors as a set of 10 topics, which has become widely known um, as the top 10 uh, used by industry consultants and, and regulators worldwide because prior to that we would turn up to do an inspection say we're here to inspect human factors and they were like i don't know what you mean how do we prepare for that who do you want to speak to what do you want to go and look at so after creating that top 10 we were able to say um, the agenda for the inspection is we want to come and look at how you manage fatigue or we want to come and look at um, your supervision arrangements sure. or your competence assurance system. So this helped to operationalize um, human factors. So the, the other description really of human factors, um, a lot of people come to human factors through human error. They hear about human error. Um, but if we identify human error, we need to understand how and why it occurred and, and not simply blaming people mm. um, you know are we setting people up to succeed are we setting them up to fail are we providing systems equipment and an environment that supports people to do the work that we're asking them to do and um, to introduce as we move towards talking about organizational failures i'd like to read a quote from professor james reason who is a psychologist at the university of manchester and this quote is about 25 years old but it's still one of my favorites and reason said rather than being the main instigators of an accident operators tend to be the inheritors of system defects created by poor design incorrect installation faulty maintenance and bad management decisions their part is usually that of adding the final garnish to a lethal brew whose ingredients have already been long in the cooking and i think that's a really good introduction to our discussion on organizational failures so so let's go there because uh, we had a, a really interesting conversation on organizational failures and, and some of the common themes so, so what are some of the common themes and, and why do organizations fail? Exactly. I mean, when you say, um, why do organizations fail? Um, let's just think about a few of those um, from different industries, because um, these organizational disasters have occurred to, you know, the NASA space shuttles, mm -hmm. the Herald of Free Enterprise, Ferry Disaster, Chernobyl, the King's Cross Fire, Piper Alpha, um, Kegworth, Texas City, Bunsfield, Deepwater Horizon, the condo, um, mm -hmm. lots of different rail in, in incidents around the world, several so-called friendly fire events. And there's also been organizational disasters in sectors such as healthcare and finance. Um, in the UK, these include inadequate care during children's heart surgery at the Bristol Royal Infirmary over a 10-year period. And of course, um, most listeners will be familiar with the, the so-called rogue trader <laughs> that caused the collapse of Baring's Bank. Um, and 
you know, there, so there were so many disasters in so many different industries. Um, and I know when we had a conversation earlier, what we were considering was that, okay, they're all in different industries, mm-hmm. um, but there's lots of common themes that we could pull out of those from, you know, space shuttles to uh, Bearings Bank, for instance. So what are some of the themes? Because I think the the part that was that really caught my attention is I think you had done an activity where you had taken the facts from a different event, masked it, and uh, tell me a little bit about that story in terms of how you masked the facts that was from a an existing element and people thought it was something different. Yeah, so um, the example there was that... Um, I don't know if readers are familiar with the uh, with a Nimrod disaster. Um, so this goes back to 2006. Mm-hmm. Um, um, Nimrod was a reconnaissance aircraft, um, and shortly after uh, after air-to-air refueling, it was on a routine mission over Afghanistan. Um, shortly after that refueling, uh, there was a fire which led to the loss of the aircraft, and sadly, the 14 service um, personnel. Mm-hmm. And I was asked to um, get involved uh, and advise uh, that investigation. And as I started to read some of the um, initial information from that investigation, I started to think, this sounds just like another incident I'm really familiar with, which was one of the uh, shuttle incidents was the Columbia incident. So I put a presentation together. um, And on one side of the slide, I put the information from the Nimrod incident. And on the right hand side of the slide, I put information from the Columbia incident. And then I went through several of the issues that were involved. And I produced this PowerPoint presentation. And I mixed up the left and right sides. And I didn't say which was from which. And when we showed it to the investigation team, they couldn't determine which information came from the incident they were investigating from the Nimrod incident and which information came from the shuttle Columbia incident many years previously. Um, And it just showed you that two very different incidents in different industries, different locations, different people, um, that the the organisational issues were almost identical. And that was quite powerful, the fact that people couldn't tell the difference between the facts from one and the facts from the other, because these causes just overlap so much. Um, so, you, you know, when you look at the very detailed technical level, mm-hmm. there are differences between these events. But the common fact is, you know, when you really start looking at the deeper or the wider organizational issues, mm-hmm. um, then there's so many similarities. So, so what are some of the themes in general when you've looked at, you mentioned Barings Bank, sounds very different than Piper Alpha. W- what are some of the common themes? <laughs> it does, yeah. I mean, you kind of think, you know, what has uh, the failure of a 100-year-old bank mm-hmm. got to do with the failure of um, a, a, an oil refinery or an offshore oil platform mm-hmm. or, you know, any of the other incidents that we've, we've spoken about? Um, you know, people and organizations fail in very similar ways. Um, and the findings from these disasters are getting quite repetitive just because you're seeing the same things over and over. So... Um, when you when you look at all of these incidents and pull out some of the main themes, what are the kind of things that we're seeing? Um, because the important thing is we can go and look for these mm-hmm. in an existing organization. So, um, you know, you see things like um, a lot of outsourcing to contractors 
without proper oversight. Um, it, we call that in the nuclear industry, we call that not having intelligent customer capability because they don't know what the contractors are doing. They can't explain what the contractors are doing. Sure. Um, then, you know, you've got inappropriate targets or priorities or or pressures um, because in almost all of these cases there were significant production pressures whatever production means sure. for your organization um, another key issue that you see almost every time is a failure to manage organizational change and by that i mean a failure to consider the impact of that organizational change on safety um, so a lot of organizations going through almost like a tsunami of changes and not really considering how that impacts on how they manage safety or not considering that each of those separate changes has a cumulative effect, which is more powerful than the individual changes. You also see, you also see a lot of um, um, assumptions that things are safe. So even if you have evidence to the contrary, assuming that everything is safe rather than going and looking for information rather than challenging or rather than having a, a questioning yeah. attitude. Um, organizations are pretty bad at looking for bad news or responding to bad news, not wanting to hear um, yeah. bad news. Um, so in, in almost all of the incidents that we've spoken about, um, it wasn't a complete surprise to everybody in the organization. There were people in the organization that knew things were going wrong, that they were getting close to the boundaries of safety, um, but they couldn't either get that information um, to be heard to the right people or people re didn't react or respond to that. So it's, it's really interesting when you look and you read the inv detailed investigation reports and there's always people that knew that things were going wrong. So that, information is available in the organization and i think that's a good thing because that means that hey this is good we can proactively <laughs> do something about yeah. this we can go and look for some of these things so the the themes that i mentioned there and there are a lot more um eric mm -hmm. that we that we could talk about um th th there's lots of organizational issues we could proactively go and look for because these incidents are devastating for the people involved for the organizations involved but they're a free lesson for everybody else sure if you choose to to learn from them and if you choose to to see the analogy between a space shuttle nimrod and bearings bank and whatever industry you're in yeah exactly because you you have to go looking for those issues for those factors in your organization so there's two things you or maybe three things you mentioned there you know so you you need to go looking at other incidents you need to take the lessons from those you need to go and look for them in your organization and you need to act on that so um this failure to learn from other industries for me is perhaps the greatest organizational failure of all the mm. organizations think, well, it doesn't apply to me because that was um, in a children's hospital or that was a bank or that was an offshore platform. What's that got to me to do with me and my industry? Failure to learn those lessons is, is, is like the biggest failure um, because you, you can get away from the technical specifics of the incident and just try and look at the 
deeper organizational issues. But who in organizations is doing this, Eric? Who's which person, which role, which part of the organization goes looking for sure. these events and draws the lessons and then goes and challenges their own organization? Um, you know, so it's actually quite difficult to do that. It's kind of like the problem with safety, isn't it, really, is that, you know, you can go into a boardroom and you can pitch a new product to a new market and mm. people give you money and they'll listen to you. But if you go in and pitch that you want to spend money to protect and safeguard the installation against things that may or may not happen in the future sure. um, is a much harder sell. It's the problem for safety more generally. So, so one of the things I know we talked about was around what you call organizational learning disability uh, so that people are good at investigating but not not l true learning and not embedding the change and i've seen this many times where um people learn the same lesson over and over and, and that's it when we have these large um, investigations into these mm. disasters there's always this proclamation that this must never happen again and we need to right. learn the lessons um, and then something else happens you know a year or two later in a different industry but the same issues so you talked about a learning disability why do organizations fail to learn given that there's this wealth of information out there available as to why organizations fail um for me i think there's two issues i think um, there's this failure to learn from other industries. Um, all industries think they're unique. Um, you know, they, they don't think that they can learn because it's a totally different industry. It's nothing to do with them. But they all employ the same kinds of people. There aren't different people working in different mm -hmm. industries. They all employ the same kind of people. Um, they organize themselves in very similar ways, and they have the same kind of targets and priorities and, and so on. Um, so first of all is that assumption it doesn't apply to me. It's, it's a different mm -hmm. sector. So failure to learn from other industries we've spoken about, but failure to learn from your own investigations. Um, and we see this in major incidents like um, NASA failing to learn from the previous incidents that it had had. Mm -hmm. So you have the Mars orbiter, failure to learn from that, you have Challenger and then Columbia and so on. Um, so what we find is that there's a lot of sharing, but not enough learning. So after an incident, then there's a safety bulletin put together. It goes mm -hmm. on the intranet. There might be a bit of a rollout and so on. Um, but you're not actually, if you're not changing something, you're not learning. Something in the organization has to change um, for a lesson to be embedded. And, it, and you need to go back and confirm that you've changed the right things. You can't just change something and assume everything will be okay. So if you're not changing anything structurally in the organization or in one of the systems or one of the processes, then you're not embedding the learning. Um, so that's the first thing is this failure to kind of embed the lessons that you've come up with. I think the mm. other problem is that um, investigations are not always of a great quality. They're not identifying the right issues. Um, they may not be getting to root causes. They might focus on human error. They might focus on blame. And investigations that are done by external bodies um, mm -hmm. generally are starting to look at these organizational issues. But investigations that are done internally by the organizations themselves into their own events rarely confront organizational failures. It, it's very challenging for the investigation team to raise issues that suggest there are failures at the leadership level 
it's challenging for the investigation team and it's challenging for the leadership to receive that information. So quite often the recommendations and the actions are all aimed at employees, a bit like um, a lot of safety initiatives, behavioral safety, safety culture, and so on, are quite often aimed at the frontline workforce rather than the whole organization. We often see that in investigations as well, is they're not challenging these organizational issues, um, whether that's because of lack of understanding or whether or not because um, that's not accepted by senior um, senior leadership um, because people doing these investigations aren't always competent and i mean mm. that in the nicest possible way <laughs> um, they don't have the right experience or they're not given enough time or it's seen as a development opportunity you know so um, investigations need to have the right people doing them asking the right questions in order to get the right recommendations out of them because you know, if the process isn't right, you're not going to get the right recommendations sure. coming out of it. And, that, and then so, you know, so what are you going to learn because you haven't got to to the real issues? So, yeah, I think there's two issues there. Failure to learn mm -hmm. from other industries, but also failure to learn from your own investigations. Um, and we can talk about some um, tips that maybe could help organizations get to some of those organizational issues when they're doing investigations. Absolutely. Um, and also it'd be useful to talk about how you can go and look for some of these organizational issues before you actually have an incident, which is what we want to get to. We don't want to, we don't want to have that. We want to learn, <laughs> but we don't want to have incidents Correct. in order to be able to learn. So why can't we learn proactively without having an incident in the first place? This episode of the Safety Guru Podcast is brought to you by Propolo Consulting, the leading safety and safety culture advisory firm. Whether you are looking to assess your safety culture, develop strategies to level up your safety performance, introduce human performance capabilities, re-energize your BBS program, enhance supervisory safety capabilities, or introduce unique safety leadership training and talent solutions, Propolo has you covered. Visit us at propolo.com. So, so let's start first in terms of how you can identify some of these organizational factors through the investigation process. So um, through that investigation process, you're, what you're really trying to do to get to the organizational issues is you're trying to zoom out from the detail, kind of taking a a helicopter view you're zooming out and up and looking down trying to see this bigger picture so for example most people who've done an investigation would have put together a timeline so a list of what happened to who or what equipment mm -hmm. and when and draw a timeline and start to map what happened but the problem is a lot of those timelines start on the day of the event and what I'd propose is that your timeline goes back weeks, months, or even years before the event occurred. Um, you're trying to identify what might have changed in the organization in that period um, in terms of changes to equipment or processes or people or priorities or the direction the mm -hmm. company was going and so on. Um, so your your timeline needs to go way back because the organizational issues that we see in all of these events these events didn't just occur overnight they as reason said in that quote there was trouble brewing for 
weeks, right. months, and years beforehand. So there are indications in the organization. So your timeline needs to go back and look for those issues. That automatically forces you to think not just about the actual incident, but more widely about your organization. The other thing you can do really is to review previous incidents that have occurred um, or other sources of data, maybe looking at audits or regulatory inspections or staff surveys. You're trying to identify common threads and, and trends, and you're trying to identify how long these conditions have existed for, mm. how extensive are they across the company? Um, you know, why did this event surprise us? Because like I say, the information is normally available in the organization. Um, so so why did this come as a surprise? Um, you're, you're looking not just at individuals, but you should be looking at systems. You should be looking at processes. And your mindset as an investigator should be thinking about what were the organizational conditions what was the context in the organization that set people up to fail mm -hmm. so that going back um, way before the incident is quite a helpful change of mindset for people rather than just going okay what happened on this day and, sure. and thinking about how you responded to the incident it's quite a useful um, tool to help you think more about organizational issues and how broad do you go because when you start going back to zoom out years before decisions, changes in leadership, changes in investment, you can open up a very big can of worms. And I see if it's Deepwater Horizon, Piper Alpha, that there's a need to go deeper. Um, but how deep and how wide do you cast the net? Because I think it's incredibly important. Like you said, it's not. Otherwise, you just limit to that person that made a mistake as opposed to start understanding what's changed in the environment, the context. Sure, and it's a lot easier in those big organize, big um, disasters to sure. to do that because they'll have a huge team of people. These investigations, some of them have taken five, six, eight years, so they have the time and the resource. In an organization, you generally don't have that much time to right. do an investigation. Quite often, the people doing it have other jobs, so they want to get back <laughs> to the day job. So it's one of the reasons why the investigations are quite compressed in terms of time because most people are not full-time investigators. Um, so I think what you can do is it kind of depends on the incident that you've had as to how far you want to go back. But I think looking at whether or not those conditions exist on other facilities or other workplaces is a useful step. Um, mm -hmm. That can really help you identify, is this unique to this scenario or is this a systemic issue that we have in our organization i think going back and looking at what might be key issues so if you've had uh, a merger or an acquisition or a major change in your direction or a new product um, or you've opened a new facility you know those major organizational changes um, if you had a a downsizing exercise two years ago and you know since then there's obviously been issues in terms of staffing and resources then those are the key things you need to be mapping out um, as you say you can't map everything but you know you're looking for key significant changes or events or shifts in priorities or policies that might have occurred in the previous years and i guess the time and effort that you spend in that partly depends on the consequences or the potential consequences of the event that you're looking at 
But there's still an element where you can focus the conversations like you just said in terms of what are the major shifts that happen as opposed to unearth every every piece. You're still rewinding the movie further back. Um, the, the other part I think is interesting to explore is what you talked about in terms of how do we know and explore some of these organizational factors before something happens. And you mentioned in all the incidents you, you've talked about, somebody knew something was up before. So how, how do we identify these themes before a major event? Yeah, you're right there, Eric. I think um, there's always information available and it's just maybe not getting to the right people or people aren't taken action on it so we've you know these are warning signs red flags you know whatever you want to call them they, they're unnoticed they're ignored or not getting to the right person because you know as we've said these incidents incubate over a long period of time so those warnings accumulate um, and that's a great thing because that means that we have an opportunity to go and look for them uh, and uh, and to find them um, mm -hmm. so if you start looking um First of all, you should have a means for people to be able to raise those concerns um, in an independent, confidential way, some kind of reporting system so that those concerns are coming to you. Um, so that's like one mechanism is uh, some industries are much better than others at mm. having confidential reporting systems where people can safely report uh, a near miss or an error or a challenge or frustration that they're having. And that gives the organization an opportunity to do something about it. You've got to have the right culture for that, of course, because of course. if your previous investigations blame individuals, then people are not going to come <laughs> forward because they've seen what's happened to other people. So they're going to keep quiet and these things get brushed under the carpet. But So it does depend on the culture that you've got. But having an uh, independent confidential way for people to raise those issues can be quite useful. So that allows issues to come to you. But you also need mm -hmm. to go looking for these kind of issues as well. Yeah, so I think that's important. Um, yeah. organizations have had quite a few um, events. So do they investigate them individually or do they try and join the dots between different incidents? They might appear unrelated, but are they? Um, are you starting to accept things, either conditions or behaviors that you wouldn't have accepted a few years ago? So people's uh, risk acceptance might change um, mm -hmm. over time. Um, are, are you contracting more out and do you really understand the technical work that those contractors are doing. Can you explain it? Um, can you challenge it if necessary? Um, are you having lots of budget cuts? Are the conversations always around um, uh, targets, budget challenges, focus on efficiencies, productivity initiatives, um, and so on is, is a really good red flag. Um, are you starting to focus more on temporary fixes? Are you patching equipment? Are you stretching the life of equipment rather than investing or permanent sure. solutions. Um, are you maybe reacting to things rather than predicting and planning uh, planning ahead? Um, and our organizations do lots of safety related activities and previous podcasts have talked about mm. um, safety work and the work of safety. Um, but if organizations start to see the completion of safety activities as being more important as to whether they're effective, that's quite often a big warning sign as well. So companies are doing risk assessments, investigations, um, mm -hmm. audits, uh, writing a safety case if that applies to your industry. And 
if the completion of that, if getting that done is more important than using it as a learning exercise um, and, and whether it's effective, that's also a bit of a trigger um, yeah. for the organization. So uh, there's these kind of things you can go looking for. Um, and I think one of the biggest things for me is, because there's lots of questions we could ask, is that right. if you assume that your assessment of these major risks is incorrect and and go proactively seeking information to continuously revise your assessment, mm -hmm. you're more likely to pick up these issues. Whereas if you assume that everything's okay until it isn't, it is too late at that point. So, you know, organizations are getting better in their maturity in their approach to investigations. Mm -hmm. But that maturity hasn't carried over to being proactive in looking for issues. You know, so um, we're getting better and better at investigations, but we don't want to have incidents to investigate. So organizations, there are tools, there are techniques, there are ways you can go and proactively look in your organization to find these issues. And the maturity of investigations just hasn't translated over to proactively going and looking for things. Uh, and there's lots of you know, reasons why that might be the case. I think it's an, an interesting point because I think if you've got an, the other element that comes to mind is if you've got an, an incident that happened, it's clear who owns the investigation. But who owns this proactive view? Because in some organizations it could be audit, but audit is not ne always necessarily equipped to do it. I know in one organization, audit made a, a, a an audit in safety and uh, their focus in terms of, of driving safety improvement was to find ways to get employees back to the office faster, which has no impact on safety, right? But from a financial standpoint, it's just if you don't have expertise in what safety means, that might sound like a viable solution to reduce a a, 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 a rate, right? Um, it could be your safety organization, but that safety organization needs to have the right visibility. It could be some form of a red team that's constantly looking challenging pieces what have you seen being most effective in terms of where this resides and and the practice around kicking the tire is that what you've got i i think part of the issue there that i alluded to earlier on eric is that i just don't think this is a formal role within organizations <laughs> that the the departments that you mentioned quite often don't have the expertise <laughs> um the experience or the time to be able to go and look for these issues proactively. So um, the audits, investigations, they're, they're all quite constrained in their agenda and and, mm. and so on. So um, I don't think there is a good example that I know of, of uh, a function in organization that is proactively going and looking at these areas. You do have, you know, risk committees and, um, and, and mm. all these audit committees, whether or not you're looking in the financial sector or whether or not you're looking in, in oil and gas. There are, I think there are pieces of the puzzle held within different people within an organization that can contribute to this review that we're talking about, mm. but um, I don't think there's really good practice out there of how that's been pulled together into a cohesive, proactive, challenging, go look, see whether or not we have any of these um, issues, particularly when you're trying to learn from other industries. So if there's been a big incident in one industry and there's a big report that's come out and there are lessons and recommendations in that, organizations in that industry might 
look at that and might go and challenge themselves. Um, but that's quite short-lived, mm-hmm. I think. Um, if you ask people in organizations, what are the main failures in Piper Alpha? What were the main failures in Bearings Bank? What are the main failures in the shuttle incidents? A lot of people, including safety people, just can't tell you what those organizational learnings would be. So not all, not only are they not going looking for these things, quite often that um, experience, that that understanding is just not available, Eric. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it's a big gap. I, I, I think there's a role for um, human factors people and mm-hmm. systems people to be able to uh, fulfill that role. But it's very difficult for an organization to fund a position whose role it is, is to go looking for things <laughs> that may or may not happen, um, you know, or that might be very unlikely to happen. It's in these times, it's quite challenging to resource that kind of position in an organization. A couple of things that come to mind, because I've seen some organizations do quite well at learning through case studies of others, right? So uh, as as a senior leadership team, looking at something like the 737 max and, and what transpired around the max, looking at the uh, Challenger, looking at Texas City or looking at um, Deepwater Horizon and and using these as case studies to say, how could this happen here? And driving that reflection, because then you're starting to force this learning out of industry and push that it could potentially happen here. And the other piece I've seen, um, and, and I think this is a, you talked about the human factors piece. I've seen some organizations that uh, proactively, or maybe it's every few years, run a safety culture assessment as an example. Now, the, my challenge with a lot of safety culture assessments is people will do a survey which will give you no insights on what you're talking about. But when I'm thinking about a robust one, you're looking at surveying and, and speaking to a lot of employees to look about what could go wrong. And you also do a review of system factors. You look at a lot of the practices there the processes, the changes, the things that have occurred over the past few years. So essentially, you're kicking the tires on a regular basis at the organization. But it's not what I'm talking about is is closer to really kicking the tires, but looking at the system components as well, even through the, the, the analysis, because the survey won't be good enough. I, th- I think you're right. Organizations are doing surveys. They're running focus groups. Um, mm. Some... Uh, leaders will be doing walk-arounds. They're going to facilities and talking to their staff. And um, if prepared for that, that can be really, really helpful. You know, they, uh, if you prepare them in terms of what they should ask and, uh, and, and and that can work quite well. I think these are all activities. These are all tools that we Mm -hmm. have available. um, But uh, I don't think typically they are aimed at trying to pull out these deeper organizational issues or maybe they're not the different sources of information maybe are not combined to give that overall view Um, occasionally organizations will get an independent Mm. uh, organization in to do that kind of review for them which can be quite interesting but they again that takes you back to the issue of you have to learn from those recommendations as well and we have seen quite a few cases where independent contractors who've who've been asked to come in and review an organization Mm. quite often temper their findings um, Mm. because they want to get continual employment from that company. And Mm. we've seen that in some of the major financial um, uh, um, 
events, but Bearings Bank is a good example where um, the the auditors were you know not seeing issues, or when they were seeing issues, were not communicating them to the board because they didn't want to alert the board to some of the issues that were there, uh, which you know contributed to the demise of of, of the bank. Um, so there were lots of barriers and structural issues that might prevent some of the tools you suggested from working really effectively. Um, but there are tools out there that mm-hmm. can be used. And, you know, we're making general comments about, you know, what we've seen in the industry. It's not to say that, um, that there are some organizations that are doing this well. Yeah. Uh, and I think it'd be really good to unpack those lessons in learning and, and, and communicate those more widely uh, because there are pockets of good practice. I'm not being completely, mm-hmm. not saying no one's doing any, anything at all here. There, there are pockets out there. Uh, we need to understand what they are, what what is effective and, and help to share those more widely for other organizations that maybe are not doing this proactively. And, and that's often the tricky part because once something goes wrong, it makes front page news. The 37 max makes front page news, multiple investigations, lots of insights, lots of learnings. But does that mean that Airbus, on the other hand, that hasn't had such a, a failure, is doing all of this proactively? You don't necessarily know because they're generally quieter about it, right? So it's, it could actually just be pure luck or actually good practices. And that's the tricky part. It, it could, but it could also be, um, um, you know, I mean, if you look at an organization that's had a few incidents mm-hmm. or a couple of disasters, people might think, oh, well, actually, X, Y, and Z is, is a bad company. Mm-hmm. It, it's because of them. I mean, you know, it's the fundamental attribution error. Um, if someone um, is driving uh, poorly, um, you you kind of think it's because they're a bad driver. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas if, if you do something, if you cut someone up and so on, then... Um, you kind of think, well, there's all these other reasons why I did that, you know. So we tend to um, attribute failures uh, to people, you know, um, because it's an issue with them, not thinking about all the contextual factors that influence behavior. So that maybe that fundamental attribution error is is something that's important when we're looking at these disasters, because it's easy to say, well, they're just a bad company. You know, mm-hmm. and that won't happen to us. We're different. We employ different people. We've got all these processes and systems, and it won't happen to us. That kind of risk blindness is is an issue for us as well. Yeah, and I think if you touch briefly on Bearings Bank, but the same symptoms that happen in Bearings Bank would probably have happened in many other locations um, because it's not that hard to have a rogue trader. The difference there was the size of that rogue trader. Um, but they're present everywhere. NAB in Australia had three rogue traders on the FX side roughly around the same time. Um, and there's lots of other examples that don't get reported or get reported on the 100th page of the newspaper if you really seek to look at, at them because it's never a cause for for success, but they happen a lot more often than we think. I, I think they do. Um, and... Um... Yeah, I think you're right, is that um, we pick these examples um, and we talk about these big disasters, partly because there's so much information available on them. Um, And it does become a little bit unfair that we keep going back to the same disasters, but they're the ones where we have a lot of information on. They're the ones who have been investigated to the nth degree. But you're right, there's lots of other 
um, failures going on, not all of them become so high profile. Yeah. Um, but we do know that um, yeah, lots of other organizations are maybe having similar events, but they just, like you say, they don't make the press for for whatever reason um and you know they they don't become case studies on training courses for the next 30 years um uh, but you, you're right it that you can pick bearings bank and there would have been several other banks with the same kind of issues at the same kind of time because they had the same kind of processes or or, or didn't have those processes in place right. as bearings bank um but it it just didn't play out in the same way um yeah. As you know, they were maybe, maybe they had a huge loss, but it wasn't enough to destroy the bank, sure. and therefore it's it's less visible to to everybody else. So, um, but you're right, it's um, it, 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 it's we're picking a few case studies here because uh, these are the ones we have detail mm. on. But it's not to say this isn't occurring much more widely than than, than that. So, so Martin, thank you very much for joining me. I think a really interesting series of topics. The link that. A lot of organization fails for the for the same reasons. Um, I think what's really big takeaway is is how do we learn better from investigations, and then how do we learn proactively before anything ever occurs? How do we we have that questioning attitude uh, on an ongoing basis because it's too easy to close your eyes on something and think no, it's okay, we're okay, uh, and and really how do you drive that questioning attitude within within the business? So. Martin, really interesting topics. Obviously, your website, humanfactors101.com, great, great source for, for insights. Is that the best way if, if somebody wants to reach you to get more insights? Yes, certainly. I uh, write quite a lot on that website, mm -hmm. so you can go there and have a look. There's a lot more information on there, or you can uh, follow me on LinkedIn. Uh, if you search for Human Factors 101, you'll find me uh, there on LinkedIn. Um, yeah, please get in touch. Excellent. Thank you for listening to The Safety Guru on C-Suite Radio. Leave a legacy. Distinguish yourself from the pack. Grow your success. Capture the hearts and minds of your teams. Elevate your safety. Like every successful athlete, top leaders continuously invest in their safety leadership with an expert coach to boost safety performance. Begin your journey at execsafetycoach.com. Come back in two weeks for the next episode with your host, Eric Makrowski. This podcast is powered by Propolo Consulting.